0: Hello and welcome to the Leaders Council podcast, the podcast for the people who run the country and the people who keep the country running. You join us on yet another sunny day here in the capital. I'm Matthew O'Neill. And today, as always, we have a variety of distinct perspectives on leadership. First, we're joined by Nick Reed, chief executive of Symphony Hall box office an arts charity based in Birmingham. Nick, hello. Hi. Thank you for coming on the program today. We might as well get stuck straight in. What does the word leader mean to you? I guess it's someone who's galvanizing a team and who can share a vision and,
1: uh, bring those, um, members of the team to deliver that between them. And
0: how would you describe your personal leadership style?
1: Uh, I think I'd like to think that my team would describe me as empowering and, as uh, able to give a, a clear vision and, uh, who hopefully, uh, don't always achieve this, but r- recognize that it's uh, much more about the team than it is about you.
0: And how do you uh, empower your staff?
1: I think it's about um, making sure that uh, you give uh, clear direction and expectations so that people feel that they can uh, deliver what you're looking for. And that obviously, in a practical sense, you're giving them the, the time, resource, and kind of creative space to, to do that.
0: Let's go back to the very beginning of your career when you were first starting out in business. Was there any particular influence or uh, individual who shaped the way that you lead today?
1: I guess it would be, I mean, bearing in mind that I grew up in, uh, I started in this business in a very different, uh, I've been in the business for, of, of managing cultural facilities for something like 30 years now. and it's a very different space. It was certainly a completely analog space, so it's very much, one that uh, you grew up on the job. This was at a time when there was, you know, cultural leadership qualifications that had never really been uh, imagined. So I guess my role models were people who I saw as, uh, in some ways, gatekeepers to um, a kind of um, uh, something that I I aspired to be. And I, you know, there there were plenty of them. Oh, I learned, learned, um, learned the ropes alongside, really, in a very practical way.
0: Now, uh, within your own business, uh, now that you are in a leadership position, um, do you have any uh, of your individuals that you've taken under your wing? Do you run any sort of mentorship schemes?
1: I'd certainly like to think there are colleagues that I have um, worked with over the years who I would like to think, you know, who who have been part of uh, my teams who've gone on to, you know, great careers of their own. And, um, you know, I, uh, I I think there are um, informal mentorships. I think a, a, a lot of uh, peer groups work in that way and it's not necessarily up upwards sort or of downwards. You know, um, I'm men- mentoring from uh, from below, as it were, is, is equally valuable uh, because, you know, part of leadership is recognizing that you don't have all the answers.
0: What's the first bit of advice that you would give to someone that you were looking to take under your wing? I
1: would say, uh, be honest and, and true to yourself and um, know always... Stretch yourself, but but know when you're challenged, and don't be uh, afraid to be. Uh, I'm not not sure if macho is quite the right word, but you know, don't be af- afraid to be vulnerable and to 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 know when when you need help, and you know when you you uh, need to share issues.
0: Of course, one of the issues uh, with leading a team is that you're leading a group of human beings, which are by nature, fallible creatures who uh, sometimes get into disagreements or are ill or have something going on at home. How do you handle these challenges within the workplace?
1: I think you have to have, you know, all humans, the best humans, if that's a thing, have, uh, um, you know, the capacity for empathy and to recognize um, that, you know, what, you know, that people do have different challenges in, in in their lives. And I think it's about understanding when you need to hold people to account and when you need to give them uh, latitude to deal with their life. Because if their life isn't in order, you know, you know the, 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 their work capacity is going to be impacted, of course. I mean, that that's often trivialized as simply um, work-life balance, but it's something more than that,
0: I think now just going in a slightly different direction if i was to ask you to objectively identify the greatest leader living or dead who would that be
1: i don't think i could do that i think uh because it it assumes that there's a set of characteristics which are um you you know immutable and uh, you know define leadership i think you know leadership is bespoke to the to, to the circumstance quite often. I mean, there are there are common threads which which make great leaders, but I, I think it'd be slightly glib to try and, you know, um,
0: to characterize it that simply. Well, well, fair enough. If we were to broaden it to what sort of leaders inspire you? Uh, are you looking for real names here? <laughs> it could be real names or it could be sorts of individuals.
1: I think it, it would be that, I think the kind of leadership Type would be one that is uh, you know a leader who's not uh, a- afraid to um, challenge um, typical sort of stereotypes you know this is not i'm not kind of indulging or 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 saying that you know people who are what you might cheaply characterize as sort of zany or left real or, or whatever but I, I think it's people who are able to um Inspire in, in ways which may not be, um, you know, textbook. I think that'd be the way to put it.
0: Now, Nick, within your uh, sector, uh, working in a charity uh, sector, obviously there are many different challenges to running a charity, to uh, different, differing from a um, profit making organization. Uh, do you find that the qualities in management for a charity have to be different from those in the uh, private sector?
1: I think in the, in the area that I'm involved with, which is a music based charity, the first thing to recognize is that, you know, we are a 15 million pound turnover business. We are a significant employer. So all of those, um, Skills and characteristics that you'd need to, you know, manage an, an SME of that kind uh, are are true in the charity sector. But what we're about is, you know, our our success is, you know, based on the engagements that we make with people, how we use music to uh, change lives, how we use it as a force for for uh, cohesion, how we. Um, you know, these these are our, our profits. We're we're about creating cultural capital for people. And um but to get to that point to do some of those uh activities that you know that we do in terms of taking music into the community, in terms of providing, you know, free and low price concerts, you know, first musical ex- experiences for, for children in, you know, some very deprived we work in with uh, in areas of Birmingham, which are you know some of the most deprived in Europe. And you, to, to make all of that work you need to have your you know your commercial engine um, which kind of internally subsidize some of that activity running you know absolutely hundred percent so yeah absolutely I think you know the the, the 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 output is different in that we're not making profits for shareholders but the the discipline required to make our cultural capital uh, profit
0: is very much the same. Now, unfortunately, our time together is very quickly drawing to its close. But what does the next twelve months have in store for Symphony Hall, Box Office?
1: We have a great uh, capital project on the moment—a thirty million pound project to extend Symphony Hall into Centenary Square. It's going to make a far more permeable building, one that's uh, you know that uh, has more musical opportunity in it. We w- already are, you know, one of the you know the country's iconic um, concert halls, but this will really uh, revolutionize what we're doing the buildings remained open uh, throughout this project so delivering that this september is going to be quite a challenge
0: well nick i'd love to have you back on the uh, program after the uh, delivery uh, to discuss further nick it's been an absolute pleasure to discuss your leadership with you thank you
1: my pleasure thank you
0: that was nick reed chief executive of symphony hall box office and now if you haven't heard it before is jonathan white's exclusive interview with lord blunkett
2: We're joined uh, today by uh, David Blunkett, Lord Blunkett, former Home Secretary, former Education Secretary. David, thank you very much for joining us today. You're very welcome. Uh, it's always a pleasure, but uh, since we are talking around the theme of leadership, it would be a remiss of me if we didn't start with the leadership election going on in the Labour Party. Apart from, I'm sure your delight that a certain someone is leaving a post, what are your thoughts on it so far? Well, I think the party membership, have got to make a very clear decision.
3: Uh, Are they in in the stands watching, or are they on the pitch playing? And if they want to play, then the two candidates that are in for the future are Lisa Nandy and Keir Starmer. I'm personally backing Lisa because I think she's a brave woman with a tremendous amount to give. She's got really good, positive ideas. I like them because they're about building from the community rather than command and control from the centre. They're about a new form of social democracy and socialism rather than trying to replicate a failed past. And she can reach out to people that others can't. So I'm, I'm giving her my backing. I think Keir Starmer is very professional, mm. very able, and presents extremely well. And I, I hope that one of those two... Uh, actually, come through in the election on the 4th of April.
2: Uh, there has been a lot of criticism, especially from uh, four uh, candidates a little further left um, than them, who've criticised even the last Labour uh, uh, government as being part of 40 years of Thatcherism.
3: Yes, I think it's really unfortunate, uh, particularly when new MPs come in having seen large swathes of their colleagues lose their seat. Uh, to roll up the 13 years of Labour government with everything that I'm so proud of. I mean, we we were not neoliberals or anything like it. We were able, in the first 10 years certainly, uh, which I played a part in, to be able to turn the economy around, to invest in health and education, to be able to transform people's aspirations and their hopes for the, the future. And that included ensuring people got the minimum wage, which we never had before, Sure start to nurture youngsters from the most moment they were born. Transformation in the quality of education. And all these things actually add up to helping people to improve and change their lives for the better. And anyone who thinks that's not good and that isn't a government to be proud of needs to answer the question, what chivalet is it that you would want that would actually have done more to change those lives? I can think of two or three myself in terms mm. of... Uh, dramatically taking on uh, inequality, although half a million children were taken out of poverty in those years. I can think of being even tougher on crime, even though I was dubbed as one of the tougher Home Secretaries because the people that I cared about most were on the whole, not exclusively, but mainly the victims of crime. I can think about taking on the very, very rapidly growing transnational power of the big tech companies, which we still need to work through in terms of how we do that from a, a single nation just off the coast of Europe, and how we work internationally without getting caught up in wars we don't want to be involved in, but how, how are we international in a way that ensures that we play our part in making a better life for humanity as a whole, rather than disengaging and becoming alien from the rest of the world. Those are big questions for the social democratic left particularly with artificial intelligence and robotics changing the world of work forever I think in the next 20 years Uh, an ageing population Labour got 18% of the over 65 vote in the general election just 18% it's staggeringly it's extraordinary. Staggeringly bad Um, and And climate change which we all know is going to be either a big gain, or a terrific political trauma. We've got to take people with
2: us. No matter uh, which political party it is, the changes that will occur in this decade especially will determine their future ideologies certainly. And spe- speaking of your time uh, as home section in government, um, you worked with so many different individuals of all political stripes and none at all. Is there someone, and on the theme of leadership, that stands out to you that embodies some of those qualities you described earlier? Yes,
3: I mean, uh, it's on the theme of bottom up it was some of the most inspiring uh, head teachers and classroom teachers who in really really difficult circumstances were actually transforming the life chances of children by inspiring those children to want to learn to if you like lighting a candle inside them uh, giving them a, a a window on the world which created an inquiring mind and an understanding that the world was their oyster, that they could do things with support. My, my philosophy has always been mutuality and reciprocity. We, we need mutuality to support each other. We need reciprocity in terms of understanding that we don't just take. We, we give a lot as well. And I suppose that really comes down to uh, if you're prepared to do something for yourself, we're prepared to do something to help you. And that's fundamentally in education, but it is in all sorts of walks of life as well. So you can have innovation, you can have entrepreneurship and creativity in in business, you can have the way in which people turn things around for themselves. Small businesses have done that, the contribution to uh, new ways of doing things, of thinking differently about our economy. Th- those are all grit to the mill. Those are the things we need to do. And we can do them together. It's not that you're on the side of the devil if you're an entrepreneur or you're on the side of the angels if you work in public services. We, we are mm. dependent on each other.
2: Uh, you can't have one without the other. Yes. Um, and I think to coin a um, uh, uh extraordinary, ordinary people, and especially when it comes to, given your answer, David, to uh, teachers, to carers, people that honestly don't get the recognition they deserve on a day-to-day basis. And without them... Half of society wouldn't function I ca- completely.
3: I, th- I call it civil society, which functions even when government isn't functioning. It's what it's the glue that holds things together. It's people working and living and having their being together and recognizing that they are dependent on each other. I- I've obviously met incredibly inspiring leaders in a different vein. I was very fortunate to have met Nelson Mandela three times, uh, I met Bill Clinton a number of times, both of whom in very, very different ways, were inspiring leaders. I've met people in leadership positions who couldn't take a decision to save their lives. Uh, Tony Blair famously said in his conference speech the year before he stood down as prime minister, and I, I knew exactly what he meant, he said the worst ministers are those who won't take decisions, and anyone in a leadership role needs to A, know why they're there, what they intend to do with the authority that goes with being a leader and a manager, and then how to draw people in as a team to be able to implement it so that it's a team approach. It's not someone out on a white charger. It's someone who can mobilise, motivate, provide incentives for people to feel that they're part of the solution as well. Uh,
2: And I think whether it's politics, whether it's business, whether it's sport, it's exactly those qualities that you need to succeed in any of them. Yes, it is. And
3: if people recognise that, and they have a clear idea themselves. They, they have, and build, because you can't build, leadership qualities. They know how to manage their own time and their own emotions, because we all, are, from time to time, feel like really losing our temper, and I don't pretend for a minute over the years <laughs> that, that I haven't. How, how to control your own feelings and emotion, and how to bring the best out in other people's. How, how you work out that people who are really good don't threaten you, they compliment you. People who have complimentary skills to you are really valuable. And I suppose the ability to listen, not just for its own sake, Mm -hmm. but to listen because you are conglomerating. I suppose you would call it plagiarizing thoughts, ideas, ways forward from everyone around you. I often think that... um, Football managers wouldn't do too bad a job if they actually talked to the fans after the game.
2: Well, everyone knows, uh, David. You know, you're a big Sheffield Wednesday fan. It I know. Can't be easy having to hear the it, praise of Chris Wilder and Sheffield United every week after. No, week.
3: I, it isn't. Although it's damn good for Sheffield, so I'm being a bit magnanimous at the moment. It's very about good about Sheffield United in the Premier League because it it it's change. It does change. It lifts the image of the city internationally if you're not just because it's Sheffield United but because if you're playing Liverpool uh, and you're playing Man City then that's a global audience you're immediately beamed across the world so that's good I I could cry sometimes we can we can beat uh, Brighton Premier League side in the FA Cup at Brighton we can beat Leeds at Leeds I was there when we beat them 2-0 in January, and then you can, lose 5-0 at <laughs> home to Blackburn and half the fans were out of the ground by by half-time. What, what would
2: a manager blanket say in this situation? I,
3: I would have asked myself a very simple question. What went wrong with motivating those players so that when they came out on the field, they walked instead of ran? They didn't have any of the passion they'd had the week before at Leeds. They showed no drive an incentive to take hold of the game what what went wrong with the same players who'd played very well the week previously and if you could answer that question and there may have, something may have happened who knows something during the morning before the game started something may have gone sour you get the answer to that question and you then start to ensure that we never, never do this again. Yeah,
2: well, I'm a Chelsea fan, so I'm beginning to feel your pain at the minute. Um, <laughs> but I would like to pick up on another point you just made, actually, David, about choosing a strong team, people that complement you. A lot of criticism that uh, Theresa May got as prime minister was that she tended not to pick, perhaps, the more ambitious, the more uh, 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 people uh, uh, ministers that might well challenge her – One of Boris Johnson's, for all his faults, uh, he has been said in the past, he's a man that picks people that are good at their briefs. Do you agree with that? Well, I'll
3: reserve judgment on that until I see the outcome of the reshuffle, which, as we record this podcast, has not yet happened. Mm. And I imagine, I, I would be very surprised if he didn't have quite a brutal reshuffle, not just to get people in who he likes, but people who are going to be really sparky and able and clear at doing the job because you can have all the best ideas in the world. You can pronounce on what you're going to do, but if you haven't got leaders in those departments prepared to do it, if they're just toadies, by the way, and there is a tendency, a new Mm -hmm. prime minister, large majority, got to be very careful that you don't pick people because you're receiving the echo of your own voice uh, when you're speaking to them. But get able people in. I, I, I won't comment on some of the less able, but there are <laughs> clearly in the cabinet as I speak at the moment people who are really just not up to it. I mean, incidentally, anyone who won't be cross-examined by decent journalists on the BBC, changed their minds recently about mm-hmm. Sky, <clears throat> isn't worth their salt. If, but Part of being cross-questioned is to demonstrate to yourself that you've got a grasp of your brief... That you believe in it and that you can persuade people of it and if you can't do that under real cross-examination rather than sitting on the sofa for mm-hmm. a, a, an easy morning television program get out of the business you know don't don't do without it. a doubt
2: yeah uh, that's and also I should add that is how uh, of all stripes earn that respect in the first place but there is a
3: question, isn't and there? And try and answer the questions. That's, that's <laughs> what I always tried to answer the or questions. Or be
2: very good at avoiding them, either way. Um, oh,
3: well, the, the way of avoiding them is to take it head on and say, I'm, I'm not going to answer that question. Explain why.
2: Quite. Uh, <laughs> at the, um, and I think that one of the great things about uh, the Leeds Castle especially is that um, it takes and talks to people... But again, from all different backgrounds, leading something very different, whether it's a charity, whether it's a business, whether it's in politics. There comes points, though, and David, you must have experienced this, whether as leading Sheffield City Council or as Home Secretary, when people are looking at you for leadership, where do you get your strength
3: from? I think there's something inside all of us. There's a tenacity, there's a an ambition, there's a desire to get things done, to make a difference inside you, whether you're in public service, the charities, or you're driving a business that actually says, this is why I get up in the morning. So you've got to have something internal to yourself. The The second is the satisfaction you get back, because you do from seeing things change for the better. You You can take pride without being egotistical. There's nothing wrong with being proud of what you do and to want to do it even better. And that's why you need both sharp minds around you in my case it was special advisors as, as well as ministers i pretty well picked my ministers sometimes tony asked me to take people who i was a little bit iffy about and we had to meld people into the team i was able to pick all my own special advisors and that really did make a difference mm. but in in the end you've got to like what you're doing i mean the the, the people who are un, unhappy in their skin they they it's very difficult to perform if you're in the wrong business or in the wrong department of a business or if you're really hating teaching or in politics you you just in the wrong department I was very lucky because education and employment were my first loves in terms of what I wanted to do and I got the job for four years I'd then come to the conclusion that there were really big challenges for us It turned out even bigger than I expected with the attack on the World Trade Center Mm -hmm. three months after I became Home Secretary. But the big challenges of security, of reducing crime, of dealing with the development of positive citizenship, which also had a read over in terms of immigration, the kind of things that change people's lives either for the better or the worse. And you don't get everything right. That's the other thing you've got to recognize, which is why... Being part of a broader team, being able to take criticism but not always accept it <laughs> a, because otherwise you blow with the wind, that, that, that's the, the measure. And I think if we can share those traits, those experiences, those different elements through the Leadership Council, if we can get people from very, very different leadership managerial roles and delivery roles to actually be able to share that experience, everyone will gain something from it because that dialogue will inform, it will avoid people reinventing the wheel, it will take people a lot further than the, the niche,
2: for good or ill, the niche that they're in at the moment. Um, David, the very uh, in a couple of minutes we have left, um, I will be mean and put you on the spot and ask you for predictions perhaps in three things. What will happen in the Labour leadership contest? How will the next few months go for the government after Brexit? Uh, well, after we leave the European Union on the 31st of January and where will Sheffield Wednesday finish in the league? Lord above. <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not sure which
3: is the most difficult of those <laughs> questions. I, I've already in, indicated where my support is for the, the Labour leadership. If we take it at the end of January 2020... Keir Starmer has clearly got a got off to a very, very um, strong start. I think, however, it will be very much down to who can reach those parts of the Labour Party membership that came in on the back of Jeremy Corbyn's election in 2015 to that post, who can be persuaded that... What they want to see and the change, the big changes they'd like to enact, can only be brought about in any form if we win, and we win back the people, the tragic loss of people on our side uh, mm. in December 2019, and, and that that's got to be Lisa Nandi or Keir. on on the, um, the the next few months. I think that the government will probably do quite well. I, I, I think that there are real dangers ahead in just having 11 months to negotiate trade deals, especially with bellicose pronouncements about we're not going to have alignment, as though alignment in itself is a bad thing when some of it will be very good. So I think there are dangers, but I think there's quite a bit of momentum going with the government at the moment, and that will be reflected in relationships in doing deals in Europe and facing outwards to the rest of the world. Sheffield Wednesday, God help me. I mean, you know, how is it that two of the things that are most important to me, other than my family and loved ones, is football and and politics? I think Sheffield Wednesday will be hard-pressed now to get into the playoffs. If we do, I think we could pull it off. But I am really reluctant
2: And I think on that prediction, your reputation will be judged. Lord Blunkett, thank you very much for joining us today. God bless you, Jonathan.
0: (laughs) This has been the Leaders' Council podcast. Thank you for celebrating excellence and leadership with us. I have been your host, Matthew O'Neill. Until next time, goodbye. Thank you for listening to our podcast. The views expressed within the podcast do not reflect the views of the Leaders' Council of Great Britain and Northern Ireland